Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Hi, welcome to Freedom of Species, bringing animal advocacy to the airwaves on 3CR Community Radio. Before us was Sally with Out of the Pan, and she has a great show every Sunday at midday covering pansexual and other queer issues, all things related to gender and sexuality. And she finished up with This Morning by Hunters and Collectors, which is a great track. Um, Just quickly though, before I continue, I'd like to personally acknowledge that we're on Wurundjeri land and that this is stolen land and that we should be mindful of ongoing colonisation that we are all implicit with by living on this land. Um, Also, if people aren't aware, there is a current protest happening at Stradbroke Island in Queensland, or so-called Stradbroke Island, Queensland, which is the Kwandamuka land about a proposed, well, it's it's got authority to go ahead, but a, um, a development on that island that there's a lot of First Nations resistance to. So please try and learn about that and share share that around with your networks. But um, today is our first show as new hosts. And I'm Trev and with me is Devita. Hey, hi everybody. Um, so for our first show, we're going to tackle uh, a hot debated topic immediately, which is social media influencers in the animal rights movement. And one of the things that we like to say up front is that we'll be discussing um, general trends in the with the issues with social media influencers rather than um, individual people. So we'll not be uh, calling names, but we'll talk about what does this mean for the animal rights movement, their presence. Yes, actually, let me get my papers just quickly. We're not, um, yeah, we're not trying to get sued. We have uh, Nick here with us. He mm. is uh, not on air today, but he's pushing the buttons and he's my legal advice representative. <laughs> um, and... I just have to say that uh, we aren't going to be referring to any specific individuals today, just themes that are often discussed. The events described today are completely fictitious. Any similarity to any person's living or dead is merely coincidental. I'm not a financial advisor. This is not financial advice. But with that out of the way, uh, who are we going to take down first and which stock should we tell people to invest in? We're going to take down the uh, patriarchy, uh, Trev. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're definitely taking it very serious. Uh, not really a joke um obviously we're not going to defame anyone but it's a really important issue in the movement because this is something that affects everyone through whether you're influenced directly or not it affects the direction of the movement and so these are really important issues that a lot of people have been talking about and people have even asked this show to cover so yeah yeah so for listeners with us today who are not much on social media I am there with you. I recently got a Twitter account. I'm still figuring out what retweeting is and hashtags. Um, So I wouldn't even begin to know what is happening out there in the social media digital world. Um, But there is much at stake because uh, at stake because these people are, yeah, they're 
presence has is very pronounced. And, yeah. Um, we have to deal with the ramifications of their actions. Yeah, we yeah. do. So, so yeah, uh, we want to give a bit of a content warning before, because there will be some um, some mention of Holocaust and anti-Semitism, black slavery, and there might be some factory farming, um, factory farming um, incidents coming up. So um, that's just to give you a heads up. Yeah, there's going to be um, potentially also anything to do with um, ableism and some also uh, fat phobia and other body image issues. Just a warning, we're not going to dwell on any of these topics for too long, but um, we just want to be aware um, for any listeners that um, these topics are going to be uh, potentially coming up. Yeah, so um, if you want to text in, yeah, we'd love to hear if you've had experiences donating to any social media influencers. Um, if you can text in the number 0488 809 tell us about any experiences you've had in the past or if you're currently donating and supporting someone or if you've got opinions on what's been happening. As I said, we're not going to mention any individual names, but we'd love to hear your story about how you feel and what it means to you to be doing that or it has done in the past. Yeah. So what is um, before? Yeah. So let's let's start diving into is what what is an influencer? Um, is it like if I think of an influencer, I think it's somebody who has a big following on social media who gets a mes- message across, and as the word says, it actually influences people. But who gets influenced? What is the fo- who is the following? That's all a bit up in the air. I feel like yeah. that's very. And stead- the term gets yeah. thrown around a bit, but I guess it's like there are lots of people who are influencers or who influence people in the movement. Um, or even influence the movement itself. But it's what's the difference between someone being a leader and the influence Mm. is a byproduct of that leadership versus Mm. someone who is an influencer, trademark, you know, that is their profession or that is their job and all they really care about is to get likes and and to get shared. So There's a lot of push and pull there going on in what what it means. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But what... What are some of the ramifications that have been coming up with people who have such a big presence? Um, and what has that? In, how has that directed the animal rights movement that we're all part of? Mm. Well, yeah. one of the biggest things I think um, people might be aware of if they have been following it, and there's some people haven't been following it, but if you have been following it, um, unfortunately, the, the term animal holocaust has been coming up a lot recently. Um, not just from any one person. There's been a big push w- wide across the movement for uh, people to choose a side. Are you going to call this an animal holocaust or are you going to not? And the problem, aside from the obvious, um, one of the, the issues that's really brought out is that as a reaction to that, you've got some people, I'm hoping they're naive and they're not outright knowing what they're saying, but they're saying that anyone refusing to mention animal exploitation as an animal holocaust is a Holocaust denier, mm-hmm. which is a completely yes. terrible thing to say yeah. and to, to be aware of what Holocaust denial actually is as a term referencing the Holocaust from World War II yeah. and, and that Holocaust denial still exists today and that yeah. it is part of anti-Semitism that is still exists today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's so many things that, um, in my opinion, are problematic with this comparison. One of them being if you compare... Um, if you use the comparison like, holo- yeah, it's a holocaust or other terms that are used is, is slavery, you reference to um, the the struggles of people who, yeah, you, you reference people who struggle with black racism and yeah. um, you you sort of, uh, you, you treat 
these incidents as if they're incidents in they're not incidents they're not incidents in the past but there's still ongoing forces of oppression against people of color um there's anti-semitism like they're still ongoing and but framing it that way makes it sound like it's a thing long ago that doesn't exist anymore exactly yeah we all consider this was bad now we have to consider this as bad and Mm. i you know factory farming is terrible there are still um and there might be parallels in the in the tools that they use for for in factory farming uh, for example gas chambers but um it's also completely different factory farming is a completely different phenomenon mm. a phenomena like um holocaust was the extermination of people um and factory farming is the attempt to breed as much life as you can in this world to have them slaughtered in the shortest time possible Mm. and to have that happen every day again and again and again. So it's also a completely different issue. um, And inaccurate. And inaccurate, yeah. Yeah. So using, in my opinion, using the uh, Holocaust term is... It, it's 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 very problematic. And you yeah. alluded to it just before. I think a lot of people have admitted that the the main reason they want to use this language is because of the shock value, mm. and because they think that the animals deserve you know that shock value, and for people to take it seriously. But are you really taking it seriously if you're only using it tokenistically as shock value, and you're actually dismissing the reality that currently exists for people who who are descendants of these atrocities or who are from different backgrounds that do that are marginalized in different ways they're still living with the ramifications of of these Mm -hmm. oppressions in society today Mm -hmm. and you're acting as though it's something that we can just all admit was wrong and we've all moved on from and everything's fine but let's not repeat it with something else yeah so that's um so that's one big fallout from having having social media influencers say these kind of things and this message getting across um are there other what yeah, it yeah. actually reminds me, this might be a bit of a speciesist phrase, but um, it reminds me of that if you invite wolves and sheep to a party, you're not going to get any sheep to the party. There's only going to be wolves that are attending. Mm. Um, in the same way, if our movement is accepting of lots of people who are causing harm and who are directly threats or, or you know, um, people causing violence to, to, to these marginalised groups, then they're not going to be present. And I think that's what we're seeing because mm. we're seeing a lot of these influences as well tend to be very much representing the demographic of straight, white, middle class, mm. um, predominantly male, especially more than what the percentage of, of gender balance in, in vegan circles is because it's normally 70%, 80% made up of women, mm. but we see at least 50% of most of the influences are men. Mm. So, so there's a big representation problem, like sort of... Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah really does so what and what other issues what what else has been um for example there can also be stuff happening with social media influencers who are for example vegan and then at one get traction gain traction with their message get a following and then something happens that decides them to yeah that makes them decide not to be vegan anymore mm. and then there's a you know that's, sort that's of, a big one yeah there's been shows about that actually on freedom of species before about individuals mm. again we're not naming names today <laughs> so you'll have to do your research yourselves but uh it's definitely not just one person there's been lots of celebrities and lots of influences over the years that have for whatever reason realized that they were never vegan to begin with i guess because you can't really stop being vegan it means that you never were vegan you might have been eating a vegan diet mm. but you're not really vegan if you then go back to, to mm. not being vegan um 
and the damage that that causes because you've told everyone to look up to this person as a hero and, as, and worship them as a celebrity and, and listen to everything they say and they're mm. such a good example and then mm. they're now out there eating animal remains. Mm. And it's, it's difficult. Um, I've, you know, I fell into the charm that, can, that people on social media can exude. You know, it's a very visual um, mm. medium. Like Instagram, for example, is very visual um, yeah. in that you have to post pictures the whole time. And there is such a power in the social media culture of visibility, of um, good-looking people, good-looking locations. Mm. And um, it sort of makes not uh, the animals the subject, but it's making people the subject. Yeah. So actually people are becoming the cause, but we're forgetting that there's a whole different cause that we're all connected to as ethical vegans. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned that whole visual aspect of you know Instagram and other social media as well. I think that also ties into the the real the real issues of body shaming and fat phobia that come across and are often unfortunately spearheaded or led by a lot of these influencers because they will be pushing this we need to show veganism as being completely healthy. It solves all health issues. You never get sick. You'll end up with a perfect you know conventionally attractive figure and conventionally attractive skin. Um, it's mm. so minimizing of people who have chronic illness, um, lots of different disabilities who are vegan and they exist and they're every much as, you know, against mm -hmm. animal exploitation as these people, their appearance does not matter. Like this is a, this is a justice movement. This is not a health movement. Mm, yeah. This is not a, because I want to look good movement. Um, yeah. th this is about animals. This is about animal justice. Yeah. And that's minimizing a whole large group of people who can be there as allies for animals and also minimizing the chance of people who aren't yet allies for animals that are part of those marginalized groups that feel like they could never be like, what's, what's the, what's the point in me trying to be vegan or, or doing that if they're not vegan yet, because they know that they're, they're never going to fit in with what the vegan mm. stereotype is of I've got to be mm. thin, attract conventionally attractive, good looking, you know, yeah, all of that that goes along with it. It's a very uh, yeah. It's a very uh, the the focus on this type of visibility also sort of sidelines the fact that all our day to day acts can be political and in mm. a way are already political. You know, we don't have to have that following online to be you know a good activist ourselves. It, there's a range of stuff we can do, which we'll also touch upon later in the in the show, um, that are political in nature and that are very mundane compared to this whole um yeah, yeah social media influence yeah it gives so much attention or undue attention to these particular roles of social media influences as being the only way you can do effective activism is mm. if you've got a following or if you've got a yeah. way that you can share things to to a large group of people and if you've got that charisma as you say to be able to entertain people yeah. but that's not the only way to do work to help with the yeah. liberation of animals there's exactly. Actually, it's a really good point because coming off what we just said about ableism, so much of our movement has been about being on the front line and being present at marches and rallies and being the person doing the speaking or being doing the person holding a sign. But there's so much work that goes on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. A lot of that is done by people who, for whatever reasons, about anxiety or different mobility issues or different disabilities or even just because it's just not what they like to do and yeah. just not the skills they have. But they can help with admin. They can help with 
design. They can help with doing the hard work, like just on a computer, like going through creating email lists, doing social media content posts, like the wording and the text of it. Um, you know, creating leaflets, printing off things. There's yeah. so many things that need to be done behind the scenes and it's, it's pretty much minimized or invisibilized by this hyper-focus on influences and that being the pinnacle of activism. Mm. Yeah. And it's so dangerous. And it, and it just ignores those, those people. It excludes those people from our movement in a way. I think we should be really trying to, to really put some extra focus on people that are doing the hard yards behind the scenes, mm. which are commonly women, especially because this movement is made up of 70 to 80% women. Mm. And they, they don't get the attention and the recognition they deserve. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? We're, we're running out of time. Okay, we've talked a lot on this topic. Um, but we do want to hear from your experiences as well. So please text in if you've got any experiences. It's 0488 809 and 855. And it's time for a song. So this is a local animal activist um, that I know. Um, her name's Kelly Serena. And this is one of my favourite songs of hers. It's on Spotify. She's got an EP up on there. This song is Moving Fast.
There are many ways that you can keep up to date with 3CR news, events and programs. With Facebook stripping content, it's a timely reminder to focus on the communication channels and platforms that the community controls. The 3CR website is a great spot to catch all your shows via audio on demand or scroll through our range of podcasts. It's also where you can sign up to our monthly newsletter, buy yourself a new t-shirt or check out archival audio from past broadcasts. Of course, we're also on Twitter at 3CR and Instagram at 3CR Melbourne. But don't forget our mighty AM band. Catch us anytime on 855am. Keep in touch. 3cr.org.au Welcome back to Freedom of Species with me, Davita and Trev. Um, you just heard Kelly Serena, local animal rights activist, um, with her song Moving Fast. Um, we are in the studio discussing the issue of social media influencers in the animal rights movement. Yes, and such a lot a has, big topic. Yeah, a lot has already come up. Um, yes. What do you feel? like? Do you feel like we left out something? Or? Oh, there's so much more yeah. we can cover. Yeah. Um, Maybe can, can I jump in with that feedback from Sally, if you don't oh. mind? I, I, if, if you two are okay with that. I just thought that was a, this is their first uh, time hosting a show. <laughs> and we heard from um, Sally from Out of the Pan. And, and thanks to Sally. And Sally's always been a great supporter of our show and hopefully vice versa as well. And great to see that community happening at 3CR. But um, Sally has said, this program is sensational. So much uh, transferability to other social justice movements. Um, enabling um, rainbow or queer communities yet. So thanks a lot to Sally for that feedback. Thank and, you, Sally. Uh, great to have uh, Davida and Trev on the team. Yeah. So um, with all that nice stuff out of the way, back to all the really <laughs> nitty-gritty uh, deep topics, hey? So we're going to jump straight back into the ramifications yeah. of having such an emphasis on social media influences. One of the other things I just wanted to bring up is how it's, I think it's especially relevant with the time that we're in now with, um, I guess, if we call it, hopefully we can call it a post-Trump era, but it's not really yet. I mean, mm. we've still got a lot of right-wing leaders in many countries, but yeah. ever since Trump went to power, we've had over the last five, 10 years, especially this rise of right-wing across the world. Mm. Um, and that's coincided with covid which has also, I guess, brought to light conspiracy theories going on overdrive, especially with QAnon. Mm. And unfortunately, the animal rights movement and the vegan movement is very fertile ground for some of these conspiracy theories because we have a long history of looking the other way to people who have very pseudoscientific and conspiracy-type views, um, which I guess it comes from a... I think it comes from a, a real fear because so much of us know that the the government and industries involved in animal ex, ex, exploitation have lied over for so long about so many issues um, and so many things that are happening. So people don't have trust in the government and they don't have trust in organisations. But the consp because of that mistrust and because a lot of people who are vegan are people that are aware of that and have questioned it, they then question lots more mm. and they are very susceptible to i guess these persuadings to, to believe in conspiracy theories and the big i guess combination of that with social media influences at the moment with with extreme right wing is that you know you've got these 
people who are I guess, yeah, with, with Trump especially, there were people that saying, we need right-wing people in the movement as well. Like, w- this can't be just mm. a, left, a left-wing a left movement mm. of, of social justice. You know, we want everyone who's right-wing to be vegan. We want Nazis to be vegan. We want everyone to be vegan no. because we want to save the animals. And it goes back to that wolves and sheep analogy or that, yeah. that phrase before. It's I think we really have to be careful yeah. with who we're inviting into our movement. If the animal rights movement becomes a breeding ground for this, uh, sorry for the speciesist uh, breeding uh, reference, but um, <laughs> yeah, if that becomes, if it invites these, yeah, these people in, it's it's a cause for concern. Yeah. Yeah. And it's completely against the ethics of animal liberation. Yeah. Because it's a much broader, it's not about animal liberation alone, as you know, there is transferability, as we also saw in his notes, to other social justice causes. Yeah. And um they must struggle with similar issues, maybe similar spear, you know, people spearheading the movement that, yeah, maybe just not get it right. Yeah. And yeah. that was what reminded me because yeah. one of the big ones that comes across at the moment in a lot of groups, and I'm sure a lot of people have heard about this, is the transphobia that happens in a lot of vegan communities and animal rights communities. There's been a lot of these influences or people with a lot of power in certain organizations that have really doubled down and tripled down on transphobic language and just refusing to be open open-minded to different gender issues mm. and sexuality issues mm. and that comes at a cost that means that the only people that are getting involved are people that are not being harmed by this language directly mm. and that are also okay with this language happening and mm. it just excludes a huge chunk not just of potential vegans or potential people who are going to be getting active and, and being involved in these organizations but also other groups that we can make alliances with yeah and this is you mentioned to me the uh consistently anti-oppressive uh code of conduct yeah is this um what is that exactly yeah so if people haven't heard there is a vegan bill of consistent anti-oppression which was created by some great animal liberation activists a few years ago um and that is online under consistentantioppression.com pretty i'm pretty sure that's the address or something like that if you google it and it goes to into detail about how a lot of the common problems in our movement relate back to not addressing the core justice issue in relation to animals and how that is the same injustice that's present in other oppressions and that if we're mirroring and and actually being complicit in other oppressions while trying to do animal advocacy, we're not going to get anywhere. And yeah. how that's damaging to our, our long-term growth as a movement. Yeah. And that's, um, so in addition to the you know, invitation to far right uh, coming into the movement, um, there's also an issue with uh, the possibility of getting money from followers, yes. which is what we, yeah, some of what well, things we'd like to discuss here now in this next segment. Um, so what is particularly the issue like how do influencers how can they get money yeah so for people who aren't aware um there are monetized channels on youtube and people put up youtube videos and then the amount of views they get they can get an income stream from that and there has been lots of people looking into common influencers online and using websites and data that's freely available with the views that they get to average out what their income probably is and we're talking in the dozens of thousands of dollars a month for some of the for these top ones as a a starting point they're they're getting more than an average full-time salary Mm. just from their social media content a lot of these high level influencers and And that's just that's before you even talk about donations that's just from getting played on youtube so many times wow yeah 
Then you've got people with Patreon accounts or other types of what are, what, for are Patreon, what are Patreon accounts? Patreon accounts are um, accounts that you can subscribe to and donate a certain amount of money every month or one-off mm. payments so that you're supporting that person to keep creating content. Yeah, yeah. So it's designed for like activists can definitely use it and it's also designed for musicians and other art and content creators so that they can have a direct relationship with their fans or the consumers of their their art or their or what they do yeah. um but it's it's definitely something that can be i guess abused um especially as as has been seen recently with a lot of concerns about where donations go and the lack of transparency yeah yeah and it's quite baffling to think that you can become rich being an animal rights activist like who, who would have thought yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah it might not be the most uh It's yeah. If that's if that's your goal, becoming uh, getting a lot lots of money, then where are the animals? Where are the animals in this story? That's yeah. something I'd like to remind myself that I'd like to keep asking myself because, as we said, with the whole social media culture, there is a tendency to be charmed, and people, I myself included, we fall into that trap easily. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important to say there's a difference between donating to organizations and donating to people. Mm. Um, Typically, when you're donating to an organization, it's a lot more transparent where your money's going, what that money's going towards. So if you donate to some organization that's doing animal advocacy, it's pro like they, they'll probably be saying it's going towards either new equipment or for advertising or for creating leaflets or for you know, a number of things that they might need to do for their activism. When you're donating to a person, it's a lot less clear. Um, sometimes they might stipulate what the money's going towards. A lot of time they don't. And a lot of time when it's ongoing money, if it's not a particular campaign that, that they're um, asking about, it's just your regular monthly donations, it implies that it's just going towards, the, it's their salary. It's it's money that goes to, to pay their bills, to pay their rent, to pay their holidays, to pay their expenses so they can eat out at restaurants, so they can mm. do whatever they want to do. And there's been a lot of people discussing um I said we're not going to name names, but there's a lot of people discussing certain so social media influences that haven't been transparent with where the money mm. goes. So what, where, where can the money go? What, what are some of the things? Where has the money gone in the past? So there's been reports of the money going to people opening up restaurants, which even though they might be vegan restaurants, that does bring in the issue of your donations are going towards someone else to make a capitalistic business that's going to make them money and make them profits. And what are the ethics involved with that? Very different to donating to an organization who's going to be doing a campaign with that money to just promote animal advocacy. Yeah. There's also been reports of people wanting donations to then invest in cryptocurrency or other mm. sort of financial investments to make more money that way. Which, again, if, if you want to get more money, um, why not encourage your like people? Anyone can get more money. Like if, if I want to donate money to someone, And I've only got a thousand dollars. If I can invest in something and get rich, and then I can end up with twenty thousand dollars, that gives me more money to to donate to to causes I want. Why should I donate to one individual who can then get rich off my money, and then they get to choose where that money goes? So basically, you're saying you have to invest in you know green <laughs> cryptocurrencies. Is that the is that the financial advice you're giving? <laughs> And no financial advice. No, no, no. No financial advice. Allowed. Nick, Nick, how are we doing with the financial <laughs> advice? <laughs> yeah, Trev will come out as the influence after this. Yeah. That sounds pretty good to me, actually. <laughs> Keep the lawyers off the phone, Nick. That's your job, please. 
<laughs> but um, no, there's other things that have been included. Um, lots of overseas trips. So mm. there's been people who have done world tours. There's been people who have done specific tours and they've asked for funding so that they can go and, and travel. Yeah. Um, And what what do they do on these world tours? Do they? I get to, what I imagine is that these people go around giving speeches to influence again influence other people, maybe becoming adopting a vegan lifestyle. Is that what happens during these world, world tours? Yeah, well, that's yeah. part of it. And I guess the the debate comes down to how much of what someone does should be paid for out of their own pocket versus paid for by the community crowdfunding through donations. Mm. And what are the ethics involved with that? Because Every other person who's doing activism, and as you said, activism can be from a range of things, from mundane to really over the top, and it can be day-to-day -day events. Most people are doing activism with their own money, and they've got their own, you know, they're working their own jobs, or they're, they're getting their own income, however they can, to support themselves, and activism is a part of that. Even a lot of people who do rescues and rehoming of animals Um, like I know a lot of people who do that and they, they pay for it out of their own money yeah. and or organizations pay for it out of their own money. They're not, they're not pushing drives to say we can only rescue these animals if you or we can only pay for these. Sometimes they have to if they're running low on money, but that's when it's a very clear goal in mind of your money's going to go towards this. Whereas with social media influences, it's your money is going to support me in general and my lifestyle And I do activism, so therefore yeah. it's okay. And it's like I keep in, I try to keep in mind that you know the charm you can fall under with social media. And if you see somebody being effective in their getting a message across that you agree to, but which may not, as we have, as we are of you know the opinion is not a good message. Um, it's quite easy to sort of, with the good intentions we have, to sort of give money and think they're going to do better than I am, than I will do. Mm. Yeah. And look, this isn't just for animal rights. Um, this issue of influencers and saviors and people having a lot of influence and affecting the movement is present in other areas as well. Um, it's, it's something that a lot of different people have talked about. And even, I guess, within the animal rights, you've got um, a lot of satire that is used to try and expose some of the unethical things that a lot of influencers can do, a really common or popular facebook page people can look that up if they haven't seen it before is the ken savior and karen savior facebook pages they're quite funny um but yeah it's not just a vegan or animal rights problem there's lots of issues uh, there's lots of different justice issues that follow this same problem where there'll be individuals that get given a lot of power and a lot of influence and end up abusing it i guess hmm. is the best way to say yeah and also what i was thinking is that um you've got very targeted, strategized pressure campaigns that animal rights adv advocate, uh, activists um, can take part in. And then there's a sort of lifestyle activism, um, which is on social media. And what what does that activism entail? Like, is it is it about commenting? Is it calling out others online f for their, you know, um, you know, And yes, speciesist uh, beliefs or actions. It's what is the strategy? What is the long-term goal mm. that um, you're trying to to um, envision to make happen? And that's one of the biggest differences. That if if I feel sort of if I feel like I have to do something for the animals, I will. I'm more getting more into the 
stage where I think, what is a, a long-term strategy yeah. I can take part in with a, a particular target outcome? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really powerful way to look at it. Yeah. Speaking of that, I think it's probably time for another song. Um, Nick, if you can let us play. This one's The Beatles. We'll be back soon. This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. As we come marching, marching, unnumbered women dare. Hi, this is Renata from the IWG Collective. We're calling feminists of all genders and feminist allies. March 8th is International Women's Day and this year it's special as it's also Labor Day in Victoria and a public holiday. This year's rally in March will kick off at 2pm at the steps of Parliament House and then we'll make our way through the CBD to the State Library. 
Come early and be part of a momentous event. There will also be a limited after party at the Queen Victoria Women's Centre. See you there. A 3CR supporter. As we go marching, marching, we're standing proud and tall. The rising of the women means the rise. Hi everyone, we're back. That was the Beatles with money. We thought it was quite apt to uh, play that <laughs> after the segment talking about donations. It's uh, it's a big topic. Mm, We've been. Yeah. We hope we haven't been overloading our listeners and just Ranting. ramming through yeah. <laughs> so much content. But there's so much to try and squeeze into this hour, and we we were really excited to try and I guess do it yeah. justice and, and yeah. talk about all these issues that yeah. people have been because one of about. one of the things that I have also been thinking about donating is that. Um, a lot of research has shown that donating to a single beneficiary, yes, to a single person with a particular story mm. gets people, you know, really riled up to donate. Um, whereas, yeah, it's the psychology. Yeah, I've heard this before. The yeah. psychology of donations. Yeah. So there's, and it's also a social act. So if you see, if you see other people around you donating, you're you're gonna donate as well. And this is this is key to social media that feeds off these sort of individualized messages, individual individual persons. Like as we mentioned before, the cause becomes a person, whereas the cause mm. is the animal who is oppressed. Yeah. Um, so I feel like this whole social media influencer, you know, is a very feeds into these 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 the psychology of donating mm. yeah because the the single identif identifiable person and seeing others donate that's just that's there yeah yeah i'm not sure if it's a similar thing but there's that term compassion fatigue which mm. is when if people are asked to care about larger numbers of people or larger numbers of animals the larger the number gets like the more amount of people that you have mm. to try and envision needing help the more your compassion sort of shuts off and it just you get i guess overwhelmed by the the magnitude of the numbers involved yeah. whereas when it's as you're saying an individual person with a story and and one story you connect to that more and you can empathize with that more just yeah. naturally i guess innately we do as yeah. humans wow. and it's hard yeah. for us to understand so that yeah that might also be an issue where the animal rights movement is 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 very prone to compassion fatigue because animal right animal animal exploitation is basically in your face the whole time and um, happening on a scale by the billions yeah, and trillions, and which is so hard for yeah, us to really conceptualise yeah, properly yeah. in these ways. Yeah. yeah, definitely. But then when you've got cases when people put forward a different angle, mm -hmm. which is to support one person yeah. doing one thing and they put a emotional story behind it, yeah. that can get a very different response. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. But this is not... Um, yeah, this... We have been building in the preparation for a show. We've been building on a lot of critiques already of social media influencers. Like this, yeah, definitely. Yeah. This isn't all our own work. Uh, yeah. We would like to mention a lot of the people who have done a lot of work before us and that we have lent on in, I guess, doing research for this show. That includes Carolyn Bailey, who has the Animal Rights Zone podcast and Animal Rights Zone Facebook discussion group, where a lot of content gets discussed on that discussion group. It's a great place. I really recommend people having a look at AR Zone, Animal Rights Zone with Carolyn Bailey. Also, Jake Conroy, the Cranky Vegan. People might have mm. heard of the Cranky Vegan's YouTube channel. He's also got a Facebook page. Um, he's done some really good work 
um, detailing a lot of critiques and he's been involved in a lot of campaigns over yeah, the years. pressure campaigns. Yeah. yeah. He was one of the Shack Seven, yeah. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, someone with a lot of experience doing a lot of critiquing of, of I guess, what's working with, with advocacy yeah. in general as well. Yeah. And then including social media influences, but also other things as well. Um, I also know Christopher Sebastian McJedders. He has a blog um, and he's also done quite a few um, commentaries, I guess, about social media culture and influences and what that's happening. Um, I know know that he has an interesting perspective at looking at the amount of followers that certain influencers are gaining and losing, which is quite funny as well, seeing mm. what's been happening sort of in real time and, and monitoring week by week and seeing seeing how those mm. followers are going up or down. Um, but he's also done some really good presentations, which you'll probably see on YouTube if you Google his name. Um, so would you say uh, would you say they are influencers? <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good point, I guess, because... Um, Going back to that leaders versus influencers mm. and I guess that idea of passively being an influencer versus making it an assertive or aggressive goal to be an influencer. I think these people are influential and influencing the movement in a passive way because they're trying to do the right thing or just um, make make gains for the movement and and do do work continuing the, the justice for animals. Lead by example. Yeah. Leading by example, yeah, yeah, is a good way to put it. Yeah. And not explicitly trying to go for the most likes or mm. or, or, or most. use a following yeah. to, to potentially monetize, you know, yeah. your following or your YouTube channel or something. But it's also something I was wondering, um, we've already, already touched upon, you know, the skill and the compassion fatigue that we're facing as animal rights activists. Um, so considering the compassion we have and all the animals that we'd like to help um, what can we do with our good intentions what you know where do we gain satisfaction from does it always have to be donating can it be other things um, yeah so where yeah where do we put our time and money well you were telling me I'd love you to share it if you're happy to like about times you've donated in the past and what's driven you to donate mm. yeah um I feel like when I've donated, um, it was it was actually after a really horrible message that I saw from back in the Netherlands from a, an animal rights organization that um, that you know is doing investigative work and they and they brought up they brought up this um, this video where you can see that animals who should have been dead already were already um, were actually still alive and burnt alive in boiling water. Um, and that just got to me so much that at that point I decided, okay, I have to support this investigative work um, because it, it gets the message out and it it really it really got to me. But what I also did, I remembered, is that that became... I sent this article to my mother and my sister and I sent, I've donated because this is a really big issue for me. And... That's again, you know, it, it. It's also that I wanted to share to others that I've donated. So there's also a big. I don't know what the exact um, thing I was trying to do with that sharing of the message, but it was also showing like I donated this. I care about this to such an extent mm. that I donate. And yeah. you know, of course, we want to influence other people as well. So that is a similar kind of thing that is happening on social media, um, and it's a. Uh, 
yeah, it's a it's a it's a difficult thing. Yeah, yeah. and I think it's important to say that donations on their own aren't bad. I think that donations mm. are quite important, especially as most people living in developed countries such as so-called Australia will be in the top 5% of the richest people in the world. And it's really important that we use that wealth that we, I guess, we get basically by accident through a lottery of birth, you know, living in a, in a very developed, well-off country versus being born in a different country where we'd have totally different you know, opportunities. And to try and use that, that excess money that we have for good and to, to try and put that towards furthering these really important social justice issues mm. to get more equality in the world. But what are what are some of the things that you have done that didn't involve donating, but that give you like a sense of satisfaction from being an animal activist? Like what are specific actions? I think just being as involved as I can with different organizations and finding like minded people. So the times that has really helped me is when I've I've felt like I care enough about an issue that I want to go and do something. Mm. And whether that something involves being out in a different location or you know online in a virtual way by meeting up on a discussion group or in some other in, in some other way connecting with other people but finding like-minded people that mm. that care about what you care about and working to try and do something worthwhile to make that you know to make an impact to make yeah. a difference yeah like donations are one way we can do that and they're an easy way we can do that without having to spend time or energy. Yeah. Um, so there's nothing wrong with donating to good causes. I guess we would just stress to people really think critically about what are good causes within a movement because obviously animal yeah. rights is a good cause but you've got so many options of different organisations or people that you could support financially. Yeah. And keep remember you're being you're being influenced like they're influencer so we're being all we're all being influenced so you have mm. to think how am i being influenced who is the receiver of what i'm gonna give what is it gonna you know support for the long term and are there other ways i could do this what can i do myself yeah and, and like to yeah. look at the flip side i guess um you know there is a branch of effective altruism um or a part of effective altruism that looks at animal advocacy um, and there's a, a fairly popular website called Animal Charity Evaluators. They've been mm. doing work for many years and they try to rank and promote certain charities that they think are doing very good cost-effective advocacy work um, and so they encourage people to donate to those organisations so their money will go the longest way. Mm. And for people who might not know about effective altruism, it's a movement that's only about 10 to 15 years old and it basically is about trying to do the most good. So looking if you've got lots of different options of how you can do good, whether that's donating or volunteering or in any way, what's going to give you the best outcome for X amount of dollars or X amount of time and trying to really think critically about what are my different options and which is going to be the, the better or worse performing of those options yeah. rather than just going with what your gut says because often our gut is wrong. Yeah, and I also want to stress that keep in mind that day-to-day -day, very mundane tasks can be political, can be act activist action, asking whether there's vegan options, whether a wine or a beer a restaurant is serving is vegan. Mm. It gets the message going, it keeps it rolling, and there's heaps of these actions you can take that yeah. are political. Yeah. I'm afraid we have to wrap up to make room for the next show. We do. We'd um, like to say yeah. that the next Freedom of Species show next week, at the same time, at 1pm on Sunday, is going to be Adam, 
And uh, Nick, I think you know what that show is going to be about. I do. Adam will be speaking with Professor Chris Hopwood about the PHAIR, which is uh, their Society for the Psychology of Human-Animal Intergroup Relations. We discuss some of the talks they are hosting, the purpose of PHAIR, and their upcoming mm. virtual animal advocacy conference. So it should flow on fairly well from this one. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And um, to let everyone know, we're going to be doing about one show a month yep. on average. Yeah. So hopefully we'll hear, we'll hear from you and speak to you again in about a month's time. Is tomorrow mm. the International uh, Women's Day March? It is. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, just yeah. a reminder. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Yeah. yeah. Um, 2 p.m., I think, at the State Library. Mm. Let's, uh, we can share the link. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we will yeah. share the link for people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So uh, after our show, we'll be, uh, you'll be joined by the host from Encyclopedia, the show dedicated to drug law reform activism. We'll close with a song that I've been listening to on nonstop lately, which <laughs> is Tegan and Sarah, a Canadian duo um, with their song Red Belt. Yep. And just, just to quickly finish up as well, sorry to jump in here, but um, yeah, I'm not, we haven't necessarily got the text messages. So if anyone has been sending through text messages, I'll try and check them afterwards. But either way, you can email us info at freedomofspecies.org. And then maybe Davida and Trope can do a follow up if there was listener content yeah, that wasn't covered or to. questions, yeah. etc. So encourage people to email us there again, info at freedomofspecies.org. Um, and yeah, you can also uh, contact us via um, Facebook and Twitter as well. All the different um, social media platforms or encourage people reaching out. Adam did say great show as well, and I'd like to echo that. Thanks, that Davida and Trev. Thanks for the show today. Thanks, Thanks Adam. <laughs>
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.